You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. who followed Jesus Christ for three and a half years, if you look at their lives, you can see a vast difference between before the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost and after the Holy Spirit came. They went from worrying and arguing about who was the greatest. They went from being doubters and skeptics, from being cowards, even denying Jesus Christ. They went from ordinary men to extraordinary men who, it says in the book of Acts, Turn the world upside down. Can people see that you have the Holy Spirit? Is it obvious to others that Christ is in you? Today, Pastor Dave stresses how Jesus' 12 disciples radically changed from ordinary men into men who led empowered lives for Christ after the Holy Spirit fell upon them. As Christians, we have His power to effect change in Jesus' name. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he begins his message. Have you received the Holy Spirit? We're going to be in Acts 19. We're going to be looking at specifically verses 1 through 7. We're actually beginning a new chapter in the book of Acts. Moving along, line by line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, which is the Calvary method. So we'll be in Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized into repentance, a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Have you ever felt like something was missing in your life? Have you ever felt like something was missing in your Christian life? Is your Christian life an experience full of spark and enthusiasm? Or has the spark possibly diminished? Or the enthusiasm waned? Does your life show the love of Christ? Does it exude the love of Jesus Christ? Can people tell that you're a Christian by the love that you share? Do you have that joy, joy, joy down in your heart? Nobody said where? Come on. Yeah, we should. Would you describe your attitude towards God as being zealous or lackluster? How about God's word? Do you have a love for God's word? Do you have an insatiable appetite for the word of God? Never seeming to get enough of God's word? When it comes to witnessing Jesus Christ, are you shy or withdrawn? Not having the boldness to speak? Maybe you want to, but you don't have the courage. 
Maybe you just lack the power. Maybe you just lack the power to live the Christian life that the Lord has asked us to live. Lloyd Pulley wrote a book called Under His Influence, Yielding to the Work of the Holy Spirit. We have it over in our bookstore. That's not a shameless plug. It is in our bookstore. And he said this, trying to live the Christian life apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is bondage. Maybe what you're missing is the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're like the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, just lying around, lifeless, dull, and listless. Maybe something's missing. You know, it wasn't until the prophet prophesied to the wind that the Spirit of God came upon these bones and they lived. And the Greek and Hebrew word here used for breath is the same as spirit. And here, God is talking to the prophet Ezekiel about the nation Israel. They were dry and dead bones. But the Lord says to Israel, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. Ezekiel 37, verse 14. Well, likewise, these 12 guys who followed Jesus Christ for three and a half years, if you look at their lives, you can see a vast difference between before the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost and after the Holy Spirit came. They went from worrying and arguing about who was the greatest. They went from being doubters and skeptics, from being cowards, even denying Jesus Christ. They went from ordinary men to extraordinary men who, it says in the book of Acts, turned the world upside down. What made the difference in their lives? I suggest to you that it was the Holy Spirit. We know from scriptures, you're students of scriptures, we know that when a person believes and puts their faith in Jesus Christ and they become born again, as it said, they receive the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. We've read and we studied Ephesians 1.13, a beautiful passage Paul's talking to the Ephesian church. He says, in him, it's Christ he's talking about, you trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. But beginning in the book of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples to do something. He tells them to wait. We studied this when we first began the book of Acts. And in verses 4 through 8, and being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Go down to verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus told it, the apostles, the disciples, the 120 who were gathered there. When I read this verse, to me, I believe that there is an experience with the Holy Spirit that seems to be separate from conversion. It seems to be different. And I believe that the scriptures teach this. And I might add that this is a Calvary Chapel distinctive. It's one of the things that we at Calvary Chapel believe. From Acts 1, Jesus is speaking to them and he says, wait for the promise of the Father, the promise that you've heard from me. This must have been an awesome conversation. I can just see them hanging on every word that Jesus says. He was saying this. I see that the disciples are looking at each other, putting their hands up. And as he's saying this, they're going, what? what's he talking about? Promise of the Father. 
And Christ continued and he said, for truly John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? What baptism was he talking about? Some probably thought, is he going to take us back to the Jordan and redunk us? Is he going to put us back under the water? Would we hear a voice from heaven like what happened when he was baptized? I mean, I can see him there. What was Jesus talking about? What was the promise of the Father? Well, many believe, as I, that he was referring to the promise of Joel that the Lord had promised in Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass in the latter days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will shall dream dreams. Your old men shall see visions. And upon my servants and my handmaidens shall I pour my spirit out, says the Lord. This is what Christ, I think, was talking about. The promise of the Father. The day is coming when God himself will pour out his spirit on all flesh. His Holy Spirit will come on all flesh and on all believers, and each one will receive the dynamic power from God. This is not the first time that Jesus ever mentioned the Holy Spirit, nor the promise of the Father. But this was a direct command from the Master. This was a direct command from Jesus himself. He said, wait for the promise. There could be a problem with this for some, especially when you compare the verse we just read to John 20, 22. There could be a promise because something clearly was given out in John 20, 22. Something was clearly given to the apostles and the disciples at that time. Let me read John 20, 22. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Many people believe that this was purely a symbolic act a prophetic act of that which was going to happen when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. Others believe that this should be seen as an event when the disciples actually received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when they actually became born again. When you look at this verse and connect it with Genesis 2-7, which says, the Lord Jehovah Elohim breathed on Adam's nostrils the breath of life so that he became a living soul. This word is being to breathe with force. It's the same word used in Ezekiel 37. The breath, the spirit, the rock. The spirit of God, which is breathe. You compare this now as the risen Lord Jesus. He breathed on his apostles, the exact same word, so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I see this passage in John 20, 22 as a place where the disciples became born again. Where the church, the bride of Christ was born at this time. At this time is when the Holy Spirit was given out in order to establish spiritual life, regeneration. See, I believe that there's three different relationships that a person can have with the Holy Spirit if you compare these verses. If you look at verses, you can see two separate times in one verse. Look at John 14, verses 15 and 17. In John 14, verses 15 and 17, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's that latter statement that we're going to look at two specific words, two specific Greek words. Jesus is obviously referring to the Holy Spirit, the helper. He said that the Holy Spirit that was dwelling with them and the Spirit would soon be in them. So we look at the first word, is with. The Greek word here is para, P-A-R-A, para. 
It's a form of the word parakletos, which means to come alongside. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is already with a person, but he's alongside of the person. He's with you. He's with the world. This is the relation that every single person in the entire world has with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, with them. If you're apart from Christ, the Holy Spirit is still there. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, verses 8 through 11, it convicts you of sin, it convicts you of righteousness, and it convicts you sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not necessarily that in order. Think of sin, judgment, and righteousness. But that's what the Holy Spirit does when it's there. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings convictions to a man's soul. The one who needles the conscience and stirs the heart. However, before conversion, he does this work from the outside. On the outside, he does this work. He's with you. He's with the world, convicting and pressing the world. But the second experience is, is also mentioned in John 14, 17. It's the in experience or in. The Greek word is en, E-N, and it means in in our English Bibles. This is when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. It indwells the believer because he said he will dwell in you. After the Spirit has convicted a person and brought him into a place of repentance, there will be confessing of sin, that Jesus is Lord. They will be believing that God has raised him from the dead. The Spirit will then take up residence within the person's heart. Spirit never forces his way into someone's life. Spirit is a gentleman. He won't force his way into your heart. But when a person yields their heart to the will of Christ, it's the Spirit of God who enters a person's life, and the work of regeneration begins. This is the experience, I believe, that was described in John 20, 22, when Jesus breathes on them and said to the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the end experience. The Spirit took up residence in their lives for the first time ever. Go to Acts 1, and there is another relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's another relationship with the Holy Spirit. Again, a different Greek word. In verse 5, and then it's completed in verse 8. For Jesus says to his disciples in verse 5, John, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The third relationship has become known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, or being filled with the Spirit, and it doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter what you call it. The important part is knowing it. It's one of the experiences of this particular relationship with the Holy Spirit. Notice that this happens after John 20, 22. It happens after John, after he breathed on them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Then this happens. You jump ahead to Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And there's the third word, upon. In the Greek, it's a P, E-P-I, upon. This refers, I believe, to the third relationship that the believer has with the Holy Spirit. You can call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus does. He called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with what? The Spirit, not many days from now. The Spirit gives the believer an enabling power. Power to do what? Jesus completes the sentence in verse 8. You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. The experience with the Holy Spirit is for one main purpose, to empower us to be witnesses to the lost world. Be witnesses to the lost world. Empower us to live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. All right. I told you all that 
to go to today's study. Let's look at today's study. The Apostle Paul is returning to Ephesus. He said he would return. If you remember, he left Corinth. He took Aquila and Priscilla with him, and they visit the city of Ephesus at the end of his journey in Acts 18, 19 through 21. When Paul leaves Ephesus to go to Jerusalem, he leaves Aquila and Priscilla behind. He goes from there, and he goes to Jerusalem to fulfill his vow. Remember, he had taken a vow? We studied that. After he fulfills his vow, he goes to the home church of Antioch, and he stays there a while, but the Holy Spirit prompts him, and he's gone again. Out on another missionary journey, he goes to the upper regions of Galatia and Persia, according to verses 22 and 23 and 18. So as we begin chapter 19, we see the Apostle Paul keeping his promise and return to Ephesus. Reading verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Remember, Apollos had left Ephesus after Aquila and Priscilla explained to him the way of God more accurately in verses 26 and 28 of chapter 18. Apollos went to Corinth where the Lord used him mightily. You can read about him in Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians. But upon Paul's arrival in Ephesus, he finds disciples there. But something seems to be missing, prompting him to ask the question. And finding some disciples there, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The word disciples or disciplined ones means followers, means learners. This word here leads us to believe that these were followers and disciples of who? Jesus Christ. That's what it leads us to believe. Remember, it says, when you believed? We have to remember one thing. This is written by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is a historian. He likes the facts. Nothing but the facts, ma'am, just the facts. He likes the facts, and he writes down the facts perfectly. If these were disciples of John, don't you think Luke would have written that? Remember, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that these are disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul seems to notice something missing about these guys. There's something different about them. What did Paul see in them that made him think there was something different? What did Paul see in this group that made him ask the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe, when you believe? What, what makes a difference? What is the difference? What did he see? This is the Apostle Paul. Maybe there was a lack of spiritual dynamic. Maybe there's a lack of spiritual veracity or, or, or vibrancy. It was like faith without fervor. Maybe they showed no real love for spiritual things. You know, they could probably get more excited about talking about baseball scores than they could about Jesus Christ. Maybe the question, what have you done lately, spurred all kinds of excitement and all kinds of fun. But when you said, what has the Lord done lately? There was a dead silence. What was the difference between these men? Maybe Jesus wasn't the chief interest of their life. Maybe even their love for the things of the world exceeded their love for him. I don't know. Or could it be they were lacking real joy? We're not told. We have no idea what Paul saw in them, but there was something he saw in them that led him to ask this question. Their answer confirms what Paul suspected. Look at the rest of the verse. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether the Holy Spirit or not. Their answer leads us to believe that they didn't know that the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, had come. The Holy Spirit is talking about throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit of God. We looked at the Ezekiel chapter. We referenced the Joel verse. The Holy Spirit is talking about throughout the Scriptures. 
John the Baptist even testified about the Holy Spirit when he spoke of Jesus. He said in Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16, John answered all saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So even John the Baptist talked about the Holy Spirit. These disciples seemed to be unaware of what had happened at Pentecost. There must have been no power in their lives to be witnesses for Christ. There had to be something there that Paul saw. So Paul continues his questioning, trying to get at the bottom of the issue. What's the bottom of the issue? He says in verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. John the Baptist's baptism was into repentance for sin. John preached that people should repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. To be baptized by John was to be renouncing sin and vowed to sin no longer. But there was no power in it. There was no power over sin. They lacked power in their lives. Paul tells the men this. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. This really opened their eyes. Their eyes flew wide open when they heard this. Paul explains to these 12 guys that John's baptism looked forward to the coming Christ. The baptism of Jesus Christ looked back to the cross, looked back to the resurrection. There was a difference between the two. Wiersbe said this, John's baptism was on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost. It was correct for his day, but that day had ended because Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was placed in the tomb. Jesus was risen again. That day has ended. The Messiah had come. What did they know about this? Kind of reminds me of those two guys on the way to Emmaus. After the resurrection, Jesus was walking alongside them, and they had that wonderful, great conversation where Jesus went back and showed them every place he appeared in the Old Testament. What a Bible study that was. And how they didn't recognize Jesus for some reason. They sat down, and as soon as he broke bread, they knew where he was. And what does it say? Didn't our hearts break? burn. I think that's what's happening here when Paul discusses this with them. Their hearts went, oh, wow. And they went, wow. Their hearts probably burned with excitement. I got to ask you, have you ever, ever been that excited about the Lord where your heart just burned? Where you couldn't just, wow, and your heart was overflowing and you burned. If you have that experience, I can guarantee tears aren't far behind. What an experience. You see, John the Baptist was a prophet, and he ministered the old dispensation according to Matthew 11, verses 7 to 14. The old covenant ended not by John at the Jordan. The old covenant ended with Jesus on the cross. You can read that in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 8. The baptism of John was very, very important to the Jews at that time. You can read that in Matthew 21. But it's no longer for the vow of the church today. Wiersbe again said, in a very real sense, these 12 men were like Old Testament believers who were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah. They believed they had faith that he was coming. They had faith in Jesus. Paul explains to them the need for Christian baptism. And what was their response once they heard this? 19.5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.